have a great number of people who are very close to me that do suffer from sleeping disorders. And the topic of circadian rhythms has become quite an interesting one to me of late. So recently I picked up the book by Michael Bruce. He's a medical doctor, a sleeping doctor, and a PhD in sleeping disorders, I believe. His book is called The Power of When, and it's a really interesting read. He splits up the entire human populace into four different circadian rhythm categories. And throughout his research, he has found that if somebody is not acting appropriately within their circadian rhythm, they are not operating on optimum human efficiency. And this is where certain biological disorders can come up as a result. Anyway, as I said, it's a really interesting read. I'll put the uh, book link in the show notes and you guys can check it out yourselves. Some other really interesting tidbits that come up on the topic of circadian rhythm is obviously the use of electrical equipment, electric lights, TVs, iPhones, even your modem can have a very drastic effect on your own internal clock. So it's important to keep this in mind, especially at nighttime when the sun has come down. Uh, Another really cool thing is a detox of sorts to be able to restart your circadian rhythm is getting out of the city and into nature, just to go camping. They actually say a week-long camping trip seems to reset your circadian rhythm completely. I may have mentioned that in a previous episode, but worth mentioning again, I say. Now, this is a really cool study that I didn't know about. In 2013, there was a study that actually tested the circadian rhythms in fruits and vegetables. So apparently, different fruits and vegetables will produce different amounts of nutrients, antioxidants, according to the time of day. It makes complete sense. We're all part of the same organism. So why wouldn't they? All right, guys, enough of me rabbiting on about fruits, vegetables, nutrients, sleeping disorders, blue lights, orange lights, etc., etc. We have, for the very first time, a guest for the very second time. Her name is Natasha Fox. She is one very cool young lady, incredibly knowledgeable about traditional Chinese medicine, as well as functional medicine and nutrition. Not only is the sheer amount of knowledge impressive in this woman's head, it's the way she communicates it. She's a very charismatic person, and quite frankly, I just wanted to get her on the show to have another yarn. For those of you in the United States listening to this, yarn is bogan for talk. And bogan is Australian for mm, redneck, kind of. We go through a plethora of topics, Natasha and myself, including food, energy systems, exercise, and her opinion on what mistakes are currently being made in today's world, what mistakes she personally has made in her own practice of exercise, and how we can then rebalance this out. 
We also go through detoxification strategies. Uh, she has hosted a number of detox retreats, so to speak, and they are some really, really cool reset patterns that a lot of people can learn a great deal about. Alrighty, guys, I'm looking forward to introducing Natasha Fox to y'all. I hope you have a great time listening to her abundance of knowledge and her great banter. Natasha, how are you? I'm good, mate. How are you doing? So good. Amazing work. So uh, I was that impressed by your enormous nuggets of wisdom that you shared with us in episode 37, I believe it was. And I've told so many people about it. I've um, had my students and my clients come to see you and with enormously positive results. I think you have a very, very succinct um, knowledge base and you you are very practical in your... uh, explanations and your communication of it so thank you thank you for um existing (laughs) (laughs) well thanks paul (laughs) now natasha uh, i brought you back on because i just wanted to talk to you more really uh for that uh you you just finished a reset program at your clinic with a, a a great deal of people that Basically, do you want to do you want to explain what the premise behind that reset program was? Uh, yeah, well, I've been um, interested in detoxification protocols and systems since I was a teenager, but I started studying traditional Chinese medicine where those those two didn't overlay so much. Mm-hmm. Um, so these two different systems that I really enjoyed but the more I studied Chinese medicine the more that I found detoxification practices um, were very draining or very cold in nature um, and it didn't go well with uh, my understanding of health and well-being from a Chinese medical perspective gotcha. um, and so I'd continue to search through you know streams of information and try different programs and juice programs and fasting protocols and colon enema boards and coffee enemas I've you know done like herbal supplementation detoxes lymphatic drainage like all sorts of different ways in which you can purify and cleanse your body um, but wanted to really make something that uh, encompassed the Chinese medical realm as well as more of a, a western naturopathic sort of realm gotcha um, I used to do uh, you know regular five day fasts on cold pressed juice with uh, enemas and colonics. How regularly um, would you do that? Um, I was doing it at least once a year. Yep. F- for more than 10 years. Yep. Um, and I would find that afterwards I would, my skin would be better, my energy was better, my sleep was really good. But the thing that never got better from these programs was my gut. Actually, my IBS symptoms would maybe even become more inflamed after these programs. And then um, I took my partner, who is also a Chinese medical doctor, with me on one of these programs. And he was like, I'm, he pulled out. He was like, there's no way that I'm doing this because, you know, taking bentonite clay and all these, you know, cold juices is completely against, uh, you know, my idea of health and well-being. I'm like, why didn't I think of that? Yeah, that's right. <laughs> How do we do this in which we can heal the gut and um, 
and support, uh, you know, the, the adrenal system whilst going through a fasting process, which mm-hmm. I found a lot of benefit from. So we put together our own traditional Chinese medical-based kind of detoxification protocol, which is a w- warm uh, colon hydrotherapy every day. Mm-hmm. Um, people yeah. will sit in a far infrared sauna but not up until sweating, but just to keep the body warm because your body-based temperature drops when you fast. Um, they receive acupuncture every day to, you know, work on the central nervous system. Uh, they also receive foot massage or shoulder massage. So people can just really drop in. A lot of people will sleep during the program or come in and just sweat their out. Yep. Um, and the whole time we supply them with a, a variation of different bone broths. So Beautiful. chicken, lamb, beef. Um, we've got deer antler. We also have a vegetable shiitake mushroom and cordyceps broth. And then they have like a ginger, cinnamon, lemon tea that we make that's very warming and nurturing for the system. And they do a 500-mil cold-pressed juice as well for a lot of – and we're very big on supporting the system through mineral therapy. Mm. So we're using a lot of minerals. um, And people will say at the end of the program, I thought this was going to be so hard because I'd have so many cravings, but I've had none. Mm. And we've been running these programs for nearly two years, and that is what – Everyone says, they're like, I've been trying to keep dairy or coffee or sugar for so long and now I don't even crave it. It's It's really incredible. It's so cool. Like it sounds like an amazing system. I have a few things that I want to ask you uh, in terms of the – the colonic hydrotherapy. Do you use open or closed uh, system, is it? Uh, We use an open system. Um, I've never tried a closed system purely because I was never so comfortable with someone else shoving a speculum up my bum. Um, (laughs) (laughs) And that's like, that's a personal uh, preference. Um, I was, I was actually sexually abused by my doctor when I was 18 during my first pap smear. And since then I've, I've had a lot of uh, difficulty with trusting people with that part of my body. So for me, I feel much more relaxed being able to use the speculum myself. Yeah, sure. In terms of like, uh, health, uh, potential health, um, risks uh, associated with it is there can you share a little bit about what there may or may not be oh look you, you wouldn't be doing um you don't do colon hydrotherapy you've had you know recent um abdominal surgery yeah. Yeah. Uh, if you've got you know severe he- internal hebroids if there's any bleeding from the colon gotcha. um you know crohn's disease you you don't do this but, uh, you know, you're not doing it when you're pregnant. Um, yeah. We don't recommend you doing it whilst you're menstruating, um, when you're in the middle of, like, a hardcore viral infection. So there are contraindications with colonic hydrotherapy. Gotcha. But for most people, it is um, extremely beneficial to be able to uh, start to slowly lubricate the lining of um, the buildup of, uh, of uh, either bulk stool matter or, um, or even bacteria and buildup of plaque within the intestines, which I've had people show me photos of stuff that comes out of their body, and plaque exists. It yeah. looks like the lining of your intestines. I, I for uh, one, I, I actually tried uh, colonic hydrotherapy actually a couple of months ago, I think now, and it was yeah. some, something I was really curious about. And I guess I have um, a couple of questions about it that I'd love to ask you. Uh, yeah. and, and that's, it's quite a, um, 
It's quite an imposing uh, experience. <laughs> uh, I up your ass. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, like let's let's let, let's call a spade a spade. You got you got a hose up there, you know. And uh, I suppose, do you have any words of <laughs> do you have any words of kind of comfort, support, emotionally that you can offer people that are going to embark on a journey like this? <laughs> Oh, you are, you're barking up the wrong tree there, my friend. I'm a double Aries and, I, and I'm not uh, very tactic. I don't have m- much ta- tactics and, and don't provide great you're just, emotional support. You're just like, stick it in the lube, whack I'm it like, up there. I'm just like, put that thing up your ass and get in there. Flush that out. <laughs> <laughs> okay, let's move right along, shall we? Uh- I did, wa- I did want to touch on uh, the infrared saunas because I've been uh, investigating this a lot and I've been flirting with the possibility of, uh, you know, like having a regular experience in an infrared sauna. I know that there is so much associated with detoxification uh, effects of it when it comes to drawing heavy metals out of your system amongst many, many other attributes associated with it. What else is there that you, got, that you have uh, done your research with? Oh, look, I didn't know that it drew heavy metals out of your system. I haven't seen that sort of evidence. I heard that it was quite difficult to get metals out of your system. Um, certain metals, apparently aluminium moves in and out quite quickly, but there are the metals that can be very difficult to get out because they're stored within fatty tissue within the body. Okay. And that's a whole other discussion within itself. Metal toxicity is rife in this day and age, and a lot of, um, a lot of people are getting undiagnosed for metal toxicity. Um, purely because it's so hard to find. Mm. Unless you're doing a biopsy on the brain uh, or your bone marrow, you're not going to know it's there because it's not sitting around in your serum. Um, And so the only way to accurately, from what I've heard from a Geneva lab in in Germany, was that you actually have to give the – push a um, a metal chelator into your body through an IV IV injection. Um, and that actually draws metals, all metals, into your bloodstream, and then you can test to see what metals are present. Wow. Uh, uh, look, uh, I, yeah. I have done some research uh, elsewhere, but I, the, the name of the person, the authority, escapes me. I'll find out who it was. I'll put it in the show notes, and I'll, I'll also send cool. it through to you so you can yeah, check I'm it out. Yeah, I'm interested. Um, well, far infrared um, is... The, the the frequency of far infrared is what we receive from the sun. Mm-hmm. So it's according to nature's principles that this is a beneficial uh, heating system for our body. Um, and uh, Ch- Chinese medicine, we use a yin and yang treatment of acupuncture and moxibustion therapy. Warming is a huge part of traditional Chinese medicine, keeping the body warm. I mean, we're, we're mammals. We, we're, you know, existing at a body-based temperature of around 37 degrees, mm. and we just tend to kind of forget that. Keeping mm. control and regulating your body-based temperature uh, has a huge relationship with your metabolism, your, your ability to be able to um, dictate pH levels within your body, to be able to, uh, you know, uh, fight off viral and bacterial infections it's massive and um, especially our younger generation and i think melbourne specifically people don't dress for the weather appropriately you know mm. you used to go around in winter and people are wearing your thongs oh unless you're um who's that that fella that you went and did cold cold bathing with wim hof 
Wim. <laughs> I did go to his breathing exercises. That was good. Unless you're Wim Hof and you actually know how to increase your body pace temperature intelligently. I don't know if you um, listened to the interview uh, that I had with him, but like he, it, just by using the power of his mind, he was able to raise that body temperature. What a freak, eh? Hey? Amazing. Oh, amazing. And I love that he's doing, you know, there is scientific evidence to be able to back uh, what he's doing because we've known about people have known about this ability to change your body based temperature with pranayama work and with different asanas um, with mind control for centuries but mm. it's not valid until it's proven scientifically Spot and on. I'm glad that that work's being done it is but um, you know where when you're fasting your body based temperature does decline and you're much more vulnerable to a viral bacterial infection. Um, and we don't want that. So we try to keep people warm um, and not to the point of sweating because that's when you lose your essence and your and which Jing means essence in traditional Chinese medicine. So we're about putting the oil back into the oil burner uh, gotcha. so the flame will burn brightly. Uh, so that's what essence is. And so you lose essence um, when, uh, you know, semen is essence, uh, blood is essence, uh, vaginal secretions are essence, sweat is essence, tears are essence. All of these like viscous substances are essence within our body. Um, and, and so Chinese medicine doesn't believe in excess sweating unless there is an extreme heat condition or a pathogen in which you must sweat. But after you sweat, you then must mineralize and build yin back into your system. Um, and these are the sort of things that I find become quite extreme in many potential naturopathic detox methodology, which is extreme uh, uh, fasting um, or detox systems are very draining on the body and then they don't rebuild after that and that's what we, we want to work on. So people get into the sauna, they don't, they don't get to the point of sweating, but they hop in and out and keep their body-based temperature up. We, we live in a funny culture where... We constantly feel that more is more, you know, uh, one, you know, like the, the, the concept of sweating or, uh, you know, uh, exerting, uh, putting stress under uh, muscle tissue in order to grow it. And then we're just like, well, why would I lift 50 kilos if I could lift 500 kilos? You know, like there's, there is that excessive component to the way we do this. Why would I, uh, why, why would I, you know, detox and fast for one day when I can do it for 25 days? Yeah. <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm sure that there's got to be this balance that exists. And uh, from what I understand, more is not necessarily more. <laughs> Yeah, well, I mean, taking from the wisdom of Buddha, uh, who did do extreme fasts until the dude nearly died, and, uh, you know, his, his wisdom is the middle path. Um, and, and taking that sort of that wisdom from Taoism and from Buddhism, from traditional Chinese medicine, from Ayurvedic medicine, these, these people know how to live well and in accordance with the laws of nature. And that's what we go against now. We think we're so clever. We, we, don't, we don't need to live in harmony with, with nature. And I'm like, well, look at our health outcomes. We've, we've got a lot of money, but we're not any healthier for it. And our depression you know, rates are, are going through the roof. And so, Why is that? Um, we need to start looking back to living in accordance with nature. And what I find um, valuable to examine is that our culture, Western culture, um, is very good at entry but not very good at exit. We don't know when to say goodbye to things. We don't know when to let go. It mm. is this 
always this more is better. Can I take more supplements, more powders, more pills, exercise more, less sleep, more work, more commerce? It's and you mm-hmm. know, then your body's broken by the time you're 45. Spot on. Uh, you mentioned that you were supplementing, you were having this balance of juice cleansers with bone broths. Can you expand upon that a little bit for us? Well, um, the broth is very high in a lot of essential amino acids. Yes. Um, And so your body, we're still supplying the body with nutrients to be able to, you know, it it does has has its high glutamine content, which is very beneficial for the gut. Yes. Um, It's warming in nature. And amino acids are also utilized in a lot of uh, liver pathways. Mm. So we're supplying the body with what it needs uh, for going through a process of liberating whatever is built up within your fat stores, um, which is what can happen for a prolonged fast. You, you're going to ketosis and you can, you're burning off fat as a source of energy. So we're still supplying the body with what it needs to be able to process whatever's being liberated. Otherwise, people can have really negative extreme reactions when you're liberating what has been cleverly stored away in fat cells for a good reason because you think of any sort of heavy metals or other sort of toxic debris we can consider it like a sharp knife and you don't want you know you put your knives in the kitchen away in the 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 knife holder yes this is this is what the body does it puts things away in storage where it's safer lodged in fat and once you're removing all of that fat and you're utilizing that fat as an energy source whatever's being stored in there is also now being flung out into Mm. the system creating free radical damage so we want to protect the body by supplying a lot of vitamin C, a lot of amino acids, a lot of minerals to be able to deal with that from a very natural whole food source. And I suppose where, when that happens and you're not um, armed with the adequate uh, nutrient density, um, there would be a whole bunch of emotional stuff that comes up for you as well when that, when that stuff gets released into your system. It would manifest in emotions, No. Well, this was the first reset we had. Uh, we employed a clinical psychologist to also be uh, part of our team uh, because, yeah, you're 100%. And, and it's the real deal. This program, people, you know, come in and they're ready to let go of a lot of baggage and that's not just fluid retention. You know, that's like people are having huge life uh, changeovers that they're ready Um so it's a really it's an intensive program where to be able you can't hide behind um, a, a bad lifestyle choices any longer because your body prevents you from doing it and you cannot get better without making full lifestyle lifestyle choices and that sometimes requires a real psychological shift. Mm, amazing, really cool stuff. And these these are generally five day reset programs. We, we assist people in the five days and we have at, at, at this um, program, we've got one, uh, one of our clients is moving. She's doing 21 days total liquid, brew wow. broth and juice. Yep. And I've, we've got another client who's doing 40 days. Yes. Um, both of them have got, uh, have had quite severe autoimmune issues in the past. Anything they would eat, they would just become inflamed. You know, skin eruptions, feeling hormonal, severe debilitating fatigue, um, and they're feeling amazing on. They're feeling amazing fasting, and they're and all of their symptoms are just falling away, falling away. And this is a, this is a classic case of less is more for some people. Gotcha, gotcha. So the instance of these five day reset programs, obviously, this is to kickstart. 
um, a new path that somebody, a healthier path, a um, more balanced path that somebody can then continue on with. Speaking of balance, I actually, we were speaking before uh, we went on video and you were talking about uh, you going out with a mate and just smashing some dumplings last night. And I, th- <laughs> and I reckon that was just really worth bringing up on the, on the program because people need to know that it's, it's, it, that, that's okay. You know, yeah. you're going to go, be able to go out and, and do that from time to time. I feel like sometimes the stress of being perfect in whatever aspect or facet of your, your life can cause a great deal more stress than just simply going out and smashing some dumplings. Well, it's the path of least resistance and it's the middle path. So my recommendation to anyone who wants, and this is what I say during reset programs, is that we want to make it easy. And by, by supplying the body with what it needs from a vitamin and mineral and essential fatty acid and amino acid level, when you supply the body with what it needs, you live in accordance with nature, you sleep eight hours a night, you remain hydrated throughout the day, you don't suffer cravings. Yes. It should be easy, um, and and sometimes you want you, you you will not have to do the you don't you need to, you don't need to go overboard. So we have people that tend to do everything in overboard. So rather than have a glass of red wine, they'll have two bottles, yes. or rather than smashing a plate of dumplings, they're going to take six plate of dumplings and some pork spare ribs, and they're also going to drink six beers that night. Yeah. So it's about finding your path in which you can have a blowout that's a plate of you know vegetarian dumplings and mm. a cup of long tea. um, and doing that occasionally rather than being on the other end of the spectrum which can be and I've worked with a lot of people that are neurotic they're Mm -hmm. neurotic about their diet and can I eat this and should I eat that and can I and you know and the and but you know I can't have this because it's fish has now got mercury and uh, you know, and, and this has been grown in this area, this has got lectins in it, this has got phytates in it, this has got salicylates in it, this has got phenols, I can't have, what can I eat? And it be- creates this whole central nervous system activation around you now are no longer healthy because mm. you've got to get out of your mind. Um, so it's, yeah, it's the path of least resistance. Do what you can and, and allow the body to be re- rehabilitated with mineral therapy so that when you do crave foods, it's it's a craving for foods that is generally good for you. Mm. And when you have blowouts, they're not that bad. Totally makes sense to me. To me, uh, the, the relationship that one has um, emotionally between themselves and their food can have such an effect on the, the impact the, nutrient, uh, the nutrients in that food will have on their biology. Yeah. So chill out a little bit. Mm. <laughs> Couldn't have said that better myself. Uh, I want to switch gears a little bit to movement and exercise. Speaking of more is more and uh, neuroticism and doing things in excess. What is your take on movement? What has worked for you in the past? And what do you think could potentially be... um, wrong with the movement world today? Yeah, well, I learned this firsthand, to be honest. Um, I started practicing yoga when I was quite young and then got into long-distance running and I've always been very physical-orientated. Um, from age 19 until I fell pregnant at age 28, I was doing between two to six hours of yoga a day 
Like I was hardcore, was going, was, you know, in and out of going wow. to my school, doing Ashtanga yoga practices. And I do two hours of really extreme exercise. And then I would then do another backbending course. I would live with, you know, yoga masters and, you know, get up at two o'clock in the morning, do meditation, then pranayama, then three hours of asana. Um, and it worked for me then. Um, and I loved that life. Um, I also started a hospital in one of the poorest states in India. I was very active um, and it took a lot of energy. I was, you know, very much about social justice in my 20s and um, was, you know, studying a lot. Um, and then I fell pregnant and I couldn't keep up with all of the demands of running a non-for-profit hospital in the poorest state in India and keeping up with all of the exams that I had and my yoga practice, all of it. And like I was saying, we're very good in society of entries, but we're not very good at exits. So for me, I had to really let go of, of I was living in Fitzroy and all my friends were still kind of going to reggae parties and I couldn't go. I couldn't go out late at night. I couldn't, it's like I couldn't do anything and it was all of a sudden everything just stopped. And uh, after I get, gave birth to my son in 2008, uh, a few months later, like four months later, I was still breastfeeding. I started commencing my yoga practice again, back in two hours a day, six days a week. And my teacher at the time knew my body could do all of these physical complex things um, but it was making me absolutely exhausted and it was so hard for me to let go of that part because I was like, well, I'm good at this and this is my spiritual practice and this is what, you know, unites me and fulfills me and now what will I do if I can't do this? But I was getting more and more exhausted until I actually uh, developed hypothyroidism and severe debilitating chronic fatigue mm. and had to learn the hard way of just letting go of of that and um, started investigating more, reading more of um, Indian texts. Uh, that I started learning that uh, traditionally when a yoga master would a student, when they were a teenager and in their early 20s, a large portion of their practice was asana-based, physical practice that everybody thinks in this day and age is yoga. Mm. So it would be very physical-based. And then there would be smaller portions of breath exercises and meditation. And then it would travel in these seven-year cycles, mm. um, which correlates with traditional Chinese medicine. There's these seven-year cycles that keep creeping up in these traditional medicine art forms um, in which you would then start to change the proportion and percentage of these practices until over the age of 40, it was predominantly pranayama meditation, then asana. And then from age 60 onwards, it was very little asana, the physical poses, and predominantly the meditation part. And so I was like, that, this is, no one taught me this. My teacher's <laughs> still standing over me going, come on, like do a push-up handstand, like get into that pose, like pushing me physically. And, uh, and it was, it's another part of how Western medicine warps um, a, a wonderful culture uh, like even like yoga tradition um, that, you know, women who are pregnant and in their 40s are still pushing it out at the gym or doing Ashtanga yoga. It's completely against the laws of nature and it's not surprising that so many of us have got, you know, debilitating fatigue. So what's right for the goose isn't for the gander and we have these cycles that we, mm. you know, should be existing within and... Um, <laughs> One of the things that I, I can offer to your listeners, if you are interested, is a, a text that I was I, I had to read in my first year of university in Chinese medicine. 
It's uh, called the Yellow Emperor's Classic of Chinese Medicine, of Medicine. So it's called the, the Huang Di Neijing. Right. And it's a dialogue, a dialogue between Huang Di, which was the Yellow Emperor, and his acupuncturist, Qi Bo. And this book was written in 240 BC. So it's old. <laughs> um, and so this book is a real classic for, for, for Taoism and traditional Chinese medicine and, live, and it's a philosophy of learning how to live your life in balance and in harmony with, uh, with nature. Um, so it's very, very a holistic picture of human life. Um, so the, how geographic, climatic, uh, seasonal changes, lifestyle cycles all impact our health and well-being and how to live in accordance with seasons and with these seven-year cycles as we age. And one of the um, the essence of this book, which I, I've pulled out, you know, to read out, is health and well-being can be achieved only by remaining centred in spirit, guarding against the squandering of energy, promoting the constant flow of qi and blood, maintaining harmonious balance of yin and yang, adapting to the changing seasonal and yearly macrocosmic influences and nourishing oneself preventatively. This is the way to a long and happy life. This is completely opposite to what all of us are doing. Yes. Um, yeah, right? So, uh, and I also uh, would offer up uh, a, a YouTube that I just listened to called uh, The Seven Year Cycles of Life by um, Amrajit Nagi. Uh, beautiful. This man is like a poet with with about it, how to live and how to die. They're one side of the coin: how to enter and how to exit. Yeah, and, right. And talking about these seven year cycles of when you are zero to age seven, you should be a child and you should be completely self indulgent. You should, you know, do whatever it is that you desire and you should have a lot of fun in your life. Mm -hmm. And these cycles continue to change. 21 to 28 is when you move into social endeavors. You've still got a lot of energy to squander at this age. Um, you know, you can be very, very politically active, rage against the machine. You can, you know, study at university and, and go to parties. These things should be fulfilled in these times within our lives. And if they're not, we will live this out when we're older and it damages us in our 40s. Mm. So if we don't, you know, a lot of uh, my clients who when, you know, they were younger, you know, before age 10, they could have been the oldest child uh, in all of their siblings and were made, you know, but there was a lot of squabbling between the parents and they were made to look after the younger siblings. And, and it really pulls out and affects them psych psychologically in their adult life. This because they didn't have that opportunity in that cycle to be a child. Mm. Um, and so if we don't get to fulfill on what we're meant to fulfill in these seven-year cycles, it's interesting how it can impact us psychologically. And there is another pattern from age 35 to age 42, if I'm correct, in which we these seven-year cycles are very ancient and they go from age zero to age 70. And so from age 35 to age 42 is the point in which it's like the sun rises. It's between 12 and 3 um, p.m. It's when the sun is at its peak and we are at our brightest. Yes. And everything kind of comes to a peak at this, at this time. But it's the midpoint of the day where we are now going to also start looking towards, well, preparing for nighttime. Uh-huh. 
Interestingly, at age 35, um, uh, a hormone uh, called DHEA uh, starts to decline. Um, it's called dihydropyandestrone. It's a really long hormone name, okay. but we just know it as DHEA. It's released from the adrenal glands and is also known as the youth hormone. Uh-huh. This hormone is inflammation in the body and is a predictor when we look at it um, either in saliva or in serum of long-term adrenal health. Uh-huh. And this starts to decline at about 1.5% after age 35. So we're already on a hormonal decline from this age. This is something that we should prepare for at this age of like how much how much energy do I now have to squander and mm-hmm. whether that's on squandering on commerce, squandering on partying, squandering on even physical exercise. How much do we have to give and how much do I want to store away my essence for living a fulfilling and healthy life harmoniously up to age 70 or beyond? It's really, really interesting that you say that. Uh, all those are uh, amazing illustrations of these cycles of life. I mean, I, I just turned 35 two weeks ago. <laughs> congratulations. Thank you very much. You're, you're saying now I'm uh, – should I – are you congratulating me on becoming inflamed or what's the, <laughs> what's the congratulations for? But what, what I do take from that is the wisdom that I have received from – experience and age that I didn't have in my 20s. Um, and there are other aspects um, around all this this entire aging process. You know, I was talking to one of my very dear friends yesterday. Um, we were having a very, very long discussion about it. He just moved back here from uh, Paris, France. Lee, shout out to you, my friend. Uh, we were discussing... In a weird kind of way, uh, what, what we, we are discussing right now, but the aspect of this identity that you have with your past self as well, this emotional identity that you may have intimately with yourself, but also in your community. Let's say you, let's just use you for example, you were the, you were the yoga chick, you were the chick that had a spiritual practice, you you, you were on that yoga mat for hours a day and then you had to be confronted with not being the same person identity that you had 10 years before. That, that, that is a, that's a process that you need to work through. I've had it. Everyone has it, I suppose. And, uh, you know, when, once you add that emotional aspect into it, it becomes a lot more complex and we, we just need to work from it from so many different angles. Uh, I just thought it was a relevant time to bring that up because there are so many different aspects of these wellness, um, attributes or these wellness, uh, ways to go about it. Yeah. Well, I think it's harder when your society and your culture, uh, continues to demand, um, that you continue to go at that pace, at that full throttle pace. Mm. There is this like lack of cutoff for, for people. Um, and you know, in these seven year cycles, uh, from 63 to 70, you should be starting to be more contemplative 
and withdrawing and being more self-absorbed like you were between age zero to seven. But so many people are still, you know, my parents, they're still running a business and they're, you know, nearing 70 um, and they're still looking after all the grandchildren and, you know, people are doing so much. They're still giving so much and people are awarded um, and this isn't, my opinion, but I'm sure that uh, Chibo uh, 2,000 years ago would have an opinion on this about how we award uh, people to do marathon runs until they nearly give out at the finish line and we applaud them. Uh, why is that? Why is that a satisfying feat for humanity? Why is you know people pushing themselves to the brink of exhaustion so satisfying and applaudable? Mm-hmm. Um, but that's what our society does. It's like reach for the stars, be your best. Like, and you know nobody gets awarded for living a Taoist life where you like I meditated today and I usually take Wednesdays off just to kick about and catch some sun rays and remain <laughs> hydrated. Who gets awarded? And do interviews. <laughs> Tash, I, I actually want to draw attention to that marathon example. I have a very dear friend once again who is a very experienced runner and she completed her very first full-length marathon uh, over the Christmas period. Since then, she has become consistently ill has had uh, health issues and um, structural issues uh, physically. Um, What, I mean, obviously you haven't examined her, you don't know her personally, but could you hazard a guess as to what a running a, running a marathon, what effects that may have had on her biology? Sure. But um, I'm very tentative in saying this on an interview, and I'm going to say it anyway um, because I'm an Aries and I always put my foot in it. But um, <laughs> And people hate me when I say this, and I hated myself when I realized this for myself because I was a marathon runner and I also did hardcore you know, yoga asanas and was very acrobatic and had to give it up. Um, had to being the operative word because I was so debilitated on so many levels. Um and I wasn't good at exits, um, and I wasn't good at facing that the guys that were on the mat next to me were able to do certain things with their body that I couldn't, that I would push myself for longer hours so I could do that lift-up handstand or so I could do whatever. Like, it was yeah. so ridiculous, the competition <laughs> and the ego involved in, like, some ridiculous thing that you think is a spiritual s- pursuit. But even with, you know, the, in Chinese medicine, right, women are yin, men are yang. The, the, the hormone testosterone enables muscle growth and to be very driven and it even changes the way that you think when you're supplied with more testosterone, what lights up within your brain. Men are very, very driven and there are differences between men and women. Men, women are much more yin and we're letting go of blood for half of our life every goddamn month. You know, we're losing yin in essence. You know, and for me, equal rights between men and women is actually looks very different for men and women because we're different specimens. We're a different gender. What a man needs is different from what a woman needs. And so equality looks different for both of us. And if it was up to me, every first day of your cycle as a woman, you should take the day off if we're talking about equal rights from a health perspective purely. Mm. Um, So, yeah, women 
from a Chinese medical perspective, from a Taoist perspective, should be more yin and yielding in nature. And we shouldn't be doing things like marathon running or excess exercise. Um, and we see this, well, I see this in my clinic with women who are very, very pushed driven either in commerce or in their physical life you know they they juggle a lot they're very nurturing and they give to others all the time what happens is that they actually drain their essence or their hormonal status and so when your ovaries uh, decide to switch off that release of estrogen and progesterone during menopause which is you know anywhere in your 40s or 50s um, it happens sooner for these women and the hormonal decline stops very suddenly and your adrenal glands do supply us with these sex hormones and enough for us to not have symptoms apparently. So there are women that are experiencing menopause symptomless. Who are these women? These women are the women that looked after their adrenal glands, that took Wednesdays off to kick about and stay hydrated and get into the sun. These were, these were women that weren't doing marathon runnings. These were women that weren't very com competitive in nature. They were, you know, yielding and listening to their bodies. And th then they don't suffer because they've, lived, they've been living um, the art of life. Mm. And the art of life for a woman is different from the art of a life for a man. And the art of life is different from every season. We should not be doing as much physical exercise or exertion in winter, according to a lot of um, traditional medical precepts uh, and, and, uh, and, and medical books. So, uh, you know, what I'm saying is that, you know, I find these women who are in their 40s that are all about, I am just as strong as a man, I can push it, and I do boot camp, and I do all this stuff, and I'm worried. Because I, I see the women that are going through menopause and, and it's, it's not pretty, it's, you know, it's rough. Mm -hmm. um, and, and without saying this as being like anti-feminist, this is coming purely from a health perspective. Gotcha. It makes so much sense. I mean, we function in conjunction with uh, nature and with the, uh, the, the natural uh, inclination of the world to change as we change. Um, surely there's got to be a different uh, practice or a different physical practice in the winter as it would be in the summer. Yeah, and in the day into the night, what is going on with these 24-hour gyms? Like, what absolute absurdity? <laughs> what are people thinking? I'll just fit in a bit of a, like, a jog on the treadmill and do some, like, weights at 11 or 1 a.m. or whatever because they do shift work. It's, it's, it's bizarre, you know, and that people are so out of touch with listening to their bodies um, that this is what we're doing to ourselves and wondering why we get sick. What, what do you think uh, going for a run at 11 o'clock or 12 o'clock at night does for your body, your circadian rhythm, your hormones? Well, your circadian rhythm is dictated by um, your uh, pineal gland and your adrenal glands and also dictated by light frequency. So your body receives light not just through your retina but through your skin. And when your body receives light, it then commands the pineal gland to then send messages to your adrenal glands to release cortisol, which people think is a stress hormone but is actually a survival hormone. It's an anti-inflammatory hormone. It's an amazing hormone. Mm. And cortisol is released and it will naturally wake you up when the sun rises and you're feeling good at the start of the day. You're feeling energized. And then living in accordance with nature, then the sun starts to shift 
and we don't switch on every single goddamn bright light at nighttime, then we will be exposed to more, uh, you know, we'll, there'll be less light. So we'll be, you know, we'll be walking around in a dimmer sort of lighting, which will then dictate that the cortisol will decline and another hormone called melatonin will be released. And melatonin will begin to surge from 10 p.m. onwards. Mm. And melatonin has an effect on brainwave frequencies as well. So the brainwave frequency starts to slow down and this then, you know, has this effect on the central nervous system. If things begin to quieten, the mind quietens and the body goes into a storm. Or a, a state of rehabilitation and restoration when we get into deep sleep. And when people are not sleeping well, this creates absolute havoc in your health and well-being because you're not re rehabilitating and you're not restoring. Some people will call complete exhaustion falling you know, into a pile and a heap on the couch and snoring with some sleep apnea sleep but it's actually not restoring their body. So if anybody is snoring, I would really urge them to do something about it to the degree of getting even one of those CPAP machines that keep the airways open. I've seen huge impacts on people's health and well-being from that alone. Getting oxygen into your body and getting into your brainwave frequencies to drop into deep delta wave sleep during nighttime hours is one of the best things that you can do for your health and well-being. If you are doing shift work, then you're exposed to these artificial lights which are detrimental to your health and you can look that up on, you know, on PubMed. There's research that backs this. Um, and then when you go to bed, you're not exposed to any of that natural, beautiful light which has an impact on serotonin release and endorphin release and uh, setting our circadian rhythms. You're going against the laws of nature. Mm -hmm. um, if you're, you know, getting up early and then working all through the day and then smashing out, a run at 11 o'clock when your melatonin should be surging, then you're going to cause a um, incorrect surge of cortisol. So when you do go to bed, it's going to be take a much longer time for your brainwave frequencies to drop, mm. um, and therefore all that you're missing out on time in which your organs will restore and rehabilitate. There are so many people, uh, clients of mine, that have been complaining recently of not necessarily being able to struggle to get to sleep, but waking up at three or four o'clock in the morning and then being complete insomniac and not yeah. being able to then be able to get the... Is this once again a uh, an approach to an interrupted um, circadian rhythm and, and, and the sleep cycles are just kind of out of whack? Yeah, well, the circadian rhythm should have two sections to it, and it's a bell curve in each. It comes up, it rises up, and then it, and then it drops down. Um, so there's two patterns in a, in a healthy circadian rhythm. What can happen when your adrenal glands are exhausted or you've been giving yourself uh, artificial light at the wrong times of the day or doing too much activity or stimulating yourself too late in the day or sleeping in too long in mm. the morning or smashing the caffeine or steroids or overdoing it in any way um, and or even psychological and emotional stress can you know lead to adrenal depletion then what happens is that we get a four pattern circadian rhythm so people will wake up kind of groggy then they'll, they'll have a bit of a cortisol surge and feel okay at around 11 or 12, and then they'll hit the ground at about between 2 and 4, which in Chinese medicine is kidney adrenal time. Mm -hmm. So people will feel exhausted. They'll go for green tea or they'll have their second or third or sixth cup of coffee then. <laughs> 
uh, and then they'll feel good again at about 7 or 8 p.m. And then they'll go to sleep, but then they'll wake up again between 1 and 3, which is the time of the liver. And the liver has got a huge responsibility for harmonizing our endocrine system because it, it processes hormones. We release hormones, but they need to be kind of detoxified within our body. Mm. Uh, so the liver is a guard in in hormonal balance that we need to also consider whenever we're doing anything with the endocrine system. And in Chinese medicine, between 1 and 3 a.m. is the time in which the liver is most active. So that's typically when people will wake up. Really um, if it's more around 4 a.m., then it could be uh, with the heart. It's a lot of the cortisol is rising too early, and that's a, a real stress sign. So there is a lot that can be done to regulate circadian rhythms like that. But a lot of people are living like this to the point where we think it's even normalized. Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, that's that's super interesting. And this is the thing I love about Chinese medicine. There's always a uh, there's always a, an organ or a biological interrelated uh, representation or a very real representation of what's going on inside your inside your system. Um, for those of us who do drink caffeine, uh, do you have a recommended first hit of caffeine when you actually do uh, wake up? Is it straight away when you wake up? Would you recommend waiting two hours? Because let's face it, you know, we live in Melbourne, for God's sakes. There's, yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I love coffee. But, I mean, I drink it maybe, you know, a very weak coffee once a week and I love it. Um, I would recommend doing it in the morning after breakfast. Cool. The first thing that you should do is drink a very large glass of filtered water. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I actually have lemon, warm water and, and Himalayan or um, some sort of, you know, Australian mineralized salt. Um First thing in the morning, so supplying the body with vitamin C and minerals and hydrating your system, then I wait some time, then I will eat, and then if you are to have caffeine, it should be after that. Gotcha, gotcha. Natasha, once again, a wealth of knowledge. You've been absolutely wonderful on this podcast, and we may even have you back a third time. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I want to leave you just with one last question, and that is what what do you think – you could leave our listeners with some actions that they can take today that can make an an immediate improvement on the way they see their lives. They can get some balance out of an action that they can take today. Uh, read the Huang Di Neijing. Cool. <laughs> so that's the Yellow Emperor's classic of medicine. Very easy to read. It's like an interview style book. Um, Investigate uh, Taoist sexual practices. I okay. Think, you know, a lot of people are scared of this, but even in regards to cycles of how often you should ejaculate in seven-year cycles is very interesting. And that alone can be um, a, a real deal-breaker for men's health and restoring their testosterone. And a lot of people don't like talking about this stuff. Um, so it's a sensitive topic and, and I like Whoa. sensitive topics. Whoa. Okay, okay. Wait on. I... <laughs> I know we were winding this up, but you've kind of opened Pandora's box here. <laughs> Continue, please. Yeah, look, uh, in Chinese medicine and in Taoist sexual practices, 
Um, the loss of semen is um, considered a loss of your essence, of your jing, of your vitality. And men would receive essence from having uh, sexual intercourse with women because they would receive their jing. But every time there are practices in which you can restore that sort of essence and, and, and recirculate that essence within your body when you're having sex. But in this day and age and with porn as well, like it's there's so much ejaculation going on and mm. the, and it's this, this more is better thing. The more ejaculation, the better. Um, and in Chinese medicine, is this one practice that still is investigating sexual health. And you know, you can I can feel someone's pulse, and I have to ask them, how often are you ejaculating a week? Because it really shows up in the pulse, and, wow. and it, it does have a negative effect on the adrenal glands and your testosterone levels. So um, if you wanted to investigate that further, I'm pretty sure the Yellow Emperor's Classic discusses very in detail how often to retain your essence and live a long, healthy life with a good amount of supply of testosterone, you should ejaculate in seven-year cycles. That's fascinating because there the, there's this, the, the meta seven-year cycle component, but I'd imagine there's also a more uh, micro-cycling involved in it, for example, uh, you know, throughout as, 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 like the seasons within a year. You, the, oh, yeah. Uh, I, I think I've I've had a lengthy discussion with a, a Chinese doctor that that your seed should remain a little bit more uh, less uh, potent uh, in during the colder months. Yeah, yeah, and at night time, so you know, less sex, being being less frisky in the middle of winter and in the middle of night when those cycles are withdrawing. We're in a darker season. There is less light. There is less energy. Um, you know, and at night time as well. So. Yeah, living in accordance with seasons is something that uh, Western culture has completely com- forgotten about, mm. um, and it makes a really big difference on your health. Like small things that you can that you can start to educate yourself about can really save you in your later years of life. Very interesting. So afternoon delight is a good thing. <laughs> <laughs> what is? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> good. Okay. Great. We're going to leave it on that note. <laughs> Natasha, I want to thank you so, so much. Uh, it's, it's been wonderful. And, uh, yeah, look, I'm going to put all your details down in the show notes, and I'm sure we'll have you back at some stage. Cool, man. The last thing that I thought would be um, a great reference for your readers is to, to investigate the Tao of Health, Sex, and Longevity by Daniel Reed. Awesome, awesome. That's a good one. So much amazing uh, resources that I'm going to put down in the, the show notes. So, right. um, and, and I'm sure that this is applicable also to women, this, this sexual health. It, yeah, most definitely is, yeah. Wonderful. Thanks again, Natasha, your champ. Cool, man. Great to chat with you again. Awesome to chat. <laughs> Thank you, Natasha. That was super cool. We covered a little bit on eating with Natasha and it's a great opportunity for me to bring up how my mindful eating challenge is going for the month. I'm just having such a great time. The more I seem to do this, the more I seem to appreciate my time with my food and something interesting has happened. I've kind of looking at this food as fuel to nourish my system and I I truly believe that my system is recognizing it differently because I'm thinking about the food coming into it differently. 
I wish there were studies to cover this type of thing. Maybe there are. That's it. That's my homework for this week. Find studies on the power of thought on food and your bate. I will continue my mindful eating challenge and give you regular updates on it. I am living the process. I am loving having no distractions when I eat food as well. My God, the food is just tasting so goddamn good. <laughs> 